What's going on, Thrive Church family? We're so grateful you're tuning into this week's podcast. We pray this message will bless you in the same way that has blessed our house this past Sunday. 11 o'clock. How are we doing this morning? Come on now. Wow. That was amazing. I love it when God just kind of interrupts things and goes for it. And uh, part of that is just the hunger in the room. You could just sense it. And uh, y'all just be doing that to me second service the last few few months, to be honest. And so, um, man, I just honor you guys for that. Hey, so let's do this. I, I have to preach like a 40-minute message in 20 minutes. And so uh, good luck to me and us. Uh, but I think we'll get through it. And I, I, I'll shorten it a little, but I want to highlight some things. I, th- I still think God wants to speak on some things. So let's stand up. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Uh, for those that are here for the first time, this is what we do every week, where we go ahead and we stand as we read the word, because it's the thing that we stand on, right? It's the thing that is the greatest authority in our life. It is the word of God. It is the Bible. It is scripture. And then before we move on, do me a favor. Let's welcome everyone watching online this morning. Come on. We love you. Thank you for joining us either in the room or online. We are grateful to have you with us today. Um, you can share the service on the screen, or sorry, not on the screen. You can share the service that's live right now from you watching online, it's on the screen. Um, and we also got our candlelight experience, like Pastor Luis said, we got our ad going, uh, where we're just kind of promoting to the city. And so if you got friends, neighbors, uh, coworkers, family, man, what better time to invite them than Christmas? Like it's cheating, You know what I'm saying? Like everyone goes to church for Christmas. Like you don't have to be saved to go to church for Christmas. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Like everyone. And so I think it's a great opportunity to invite them either to this church or another church if we need to. But man, let's get as many people as we can into church because I believe that if we do that, it gives Jesus the opportunity to get a hold of their heart. And God can always do something powerful and you never know what one invite will do. So whether that's sharing the service today, sharing our candlelight experience ad, and I'm just excited for what God is doing in the room. All right. And so let's read 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. And we're going to be talking about a topic that could be a little bit triggering. It's a little bit of a touchy subject, but I believe it's important to talk about and walk through, uh, especially as we continue our series through the life of David. It says this, it says, and it was told to Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. Verse three, and the people stole into the city that day as people steal and who are ashamed when they flee in battle. Verse four, the king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, you have today covered with shame the face of all your servants. You have this day saved your life, who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines. Because, and this is where we're going to lock in, verse six. This is probably one of my favorite lines in all the Old Testament. Because you have loved those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that the commanders and the servants are nothing to you. For today, I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Verse eight. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate and the people were all told Behold, the king is sitting in the gate and all the people came before the king. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, help us. 
I know you wanted to talk about this today for someone in the room. I know it is important and it is vital. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move, you would speak, we would have an ear to hear what you are saying. We love you, we thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. Amen, go ahead and have a seat. So I wanna to talk to you today about 2 Samuel chapter 19 and really the, the conversation of what we're gonna talk about is this idea of David grieving his son who has passed away. And I know that's not a very Christmassy type message. I think I already talked to you last week that if you're looking for Christmassy type messages, this might not be the church for you this month. Um, and I know it's not necessarily uh, the thing that we want to hear culturally, but I, I believe it's so important to talk about these things. One of the things that I, I find value in uh, also making sure we're, we're preaching and teaching uh, about the whole life of David is because if scripture has put it if the Holy Spirit has put it in Scripture, then that means we should talk about it. I think we do a very good job with only reading the Scriptures we want to hear. Come on, anybody? Yeah? You like this? Like, like me too, right? Like I love, I love those blessed, blessed and highly favored Scriptures. Like those are the best, man. They make me feel good. You get all fuzzy on the inside. Yeah, no, there's other stuff in there. There's a lot of other stuff in there. And uh, we would... Uh, I feel in some way be disrespecting the story of David without walking through all of David's life. And one of the things that we find in David's story is uh, last week we talked about when David fell and now we're skipping about eight chapters, but I'm going to kind of just give you the ESPN highlights of the eight chapters um, where David's life begins to really crumble before him because of the decision he made to sin. And because of that decision, there's situations and circumstance that has begun to take in place. Now, we're going to learn about in the next couple of weeks, though, at the end of David's life, David ends up returning to the Lord like he did when he was young, and he begins to be fully obedient to God, and God begins to restore to him all the things that he even lost. And so what I think is beautiful is God is not scared to talk about things that are hard for us to talk about. Like last week, how we talked about sin. This week, we're talking about grief and suffering and pain. And I think God strategically puts it in there because it is important to understand, at least for you and I, that you and I are called to follow Jesus through it all. I want you to know this, that if you're going to come here to our church, we are going to call you and call us, each other, to follow Jesus no matter what. It is important that we understand that our relationship with God is not predicated on the circumstances that we're going through. It is also important that I believe with all my heart that we serve Jesus wholeheartedly. And if I could be honest with you, I'm gonna make a statement that I'm not trying to bash anybody, but I think it's something that should be said, is that we in the Western church have done a very good job with introducing people to church, but not introducing people to Jesus. And I say that because, at least in my generation, there's a massive movement, and some of you might have heard it, it's called deconstruction, where it's this idea of individuals who have grown up in the faith, and it's not just millennials, it's Gen Zers, it's also the previous generation before, y'all kind of started it, I'm just going to be honest, so if you're like, it's just these young people, no, it started with you, <laughs> and um, it's, this, it's this concept of, I'm just going to destroy and deconstruct and take apart everything that I've ever learned. And maybe there's some validity to that because there's been some pain and some injustice and some hurt and some bad habits the church has done. Don't get me wrong. The church is not perfect. It's a beautiful mess, but it's God's beautiful mess. And God calls us to love it. 
but there's this whole movement and the movement eventually gets to the point where, okay, I have now deconstructed and everything that I thought I believed is no longer true. And so therefore I am going to reject Jesus completely. And I think part of the issue with that is that we showed individuals who the church was and religiosity and rules and the Bible, which not necessarily is bad, but what I have learned is if you ever meet Jesus, it's really hard to not follow him. Because there's no one like Jesus. And maybe the church is a little messy, but there's no one like Jesus. And the key for us as followers of Jesus is to follow him when it's great and to follow him when it's hard. And I find it interesting that God pulls no punches in showing us in scripture how people serve him or don't serve him when things get hard. I shared this uh, a little bit yesterday at our, at our women's event that we had. Um, and I shared this before on stage. Uh, the interesting thing about crisis is crisis doesn't do things to you. Crisis actually reveals who you really are. It shows what you're really made of. And so I want to be able to have so much in me that I could follow Jesus through the midst of any storm, through the midst of any trial, through the midst of any situation, through the midst of any circumstance. And even when that means... I don't get the report I wanted. Because if my relationship with God is solely dependent on everything I want from God, then what happens when God doesn't give me what I wanted? One, I'm acting like a spoiled brat instead of a son. And God's not interested in raising up brats in his kingdom. He's interested in raising kids that are know him and love him and serve him. And he loves them, right? And but, but if, if all of my relationship with God is transactional, meaning that the only time I get a hold of Jesus is because I want something or I need something, what happens when God doesn't allow that to happen in your life? Because he knows more than we do. Whether we like it or not, he does. And we won't understand, and maybe one day we'll never understand, but that's okay. And so my point is this, is that will that lead us to what this movement is doing, which is to deconstruct, which is to sever our relationship with God. Or I think in this case, as we're going to learn from the life of David, that God, even though when things go, when things go wrong or things happen that we didn't want to happen or shouldn't have happened, but yet they've happened. And yet it's deep tragedy. It's deep mourning. It's deep loss. Does that lead us deeper in our relationship with Jesus? And does that allow us to go to God with the questions and the problems and the pain? And yet God is able to do something with that. Or are we just pushing God away? And we're going to learn this with David because David is in this situation where he's going through deep trauma, deep pain, and deep hurt, but yet God is calling him closer, even though it's very difficult to understand and comprehend. And so let me kind of give you a little bit of uh, context before we jump into some points that I have, and then uh, I'll let you go in a little bit. I want to talk about Absalom. And so if you're familiar with the story, um, you would know that Absalom is actually David's son, um, right? And you kind of connected the dots as we were reading it, hopefully, but if not, it's okay. So you have three main characters of the story. You have David, who's the king, you have Absalom, who is his son, who just passed away. And you have Joab. And Joab is the army of Israel, or the, the general of the army of Israel. He's like the head honcho. Jo, Joab's a gangster, all right? If you read scripture, Joab's bad. Joab was born in Stockton. Joab don't play. All right? Joab's no joke. Real. <laughs> you could read it when you get home. And, um, and so... The reason why Joab is, right, because it, when you first read it at, at a glance, you're like, man, Joab, this dude's mean. 
why is this dude so, why, Joab, what's your problem? This dude's son just died. Leave him alone. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what are you talking about? It's deeper than that. And so I want to walk through you through that to understand the context. The Bible says after 2 Samuel chapter 11, that uh, David begins to go through one tragedy after another. One of the first things that happens is that David, his oldest son, his name's Amnon. And Amnon ends up doing something very wicked and very evil. He ends up falling in love with his sister, his stepsister, which is name, her name is Tamar. And Amnon, and I'm telling you, like when I say David's story is like tea and novellas and like soap opera, like it doesn't get better than this, y'all. This is crazy. The Bible says that Amnon, David's oldest son, um, ends up uh, violating and assaulting Tamar and ends up hurting her and violating her. And so Absalom, who is Tamar, the sister's uh, full brother, ends up enraged and angry and hurt and frustrated. And, and part of the reason why he's angry and hurt and frustrated is because David never confronts Amnon on what he did to Tamar. And part of the reason why Amnon gets away with it is because David hasn't confronted his sin that he did with Bathsheba. And here's what I've learned is that confrontation delayed is confrontation multiplied. Meaning that if you don't allow God to confront the things of your heart, and if you don't allow yourself to confront the things that have happened in your past, and if you continue to let things just go under the rug, because that's what our generation does real well, and our culture, let's just sweep everything under the rug, and we're not confronting pain and injustice and hurt and failure and things that have taken place, not saying that we don't love and there's not grace and mercy, but if we allow it to just kind of be swept under the rug, what ends up happening is the next generation or the people after us will multiply the very thing that we struggled with. David had no authority to talk to Amnon because David was sleeping around on his wife anyways. And so because of this, Absalom is enraged and he's mad and he's angry and he holds this rage and bitterness. For two years, he holds this rage and this bitterness to the point where a couple chapters later, later in the chapter, he ends up developing a scheme and it ends up being Absalom who kills Amnon. And so David, by the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 19, uh, David has already lost three children. He's lost his oldest son, Amnon. He's lost his second oldest son, which is Absalom, or third oldest son, Absalom. And then he's also lost the child in the womb, okay? And so Absalom ends up then, uh, giving revenge for his sister by killing Amnon and then fleeing Israel. Okay, I promise this all makes sense. You guys with me? Okay, the story gets better. You would think we're done there. No. There's more. All right. Imagine if like I just stopped and like, all right, we love you. We'll see you next Sunday. And it's like to be continued on Saturday morning cartoons. That'd be horrible. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so, and so Amnon, Amnon is dead. Absalom runs away. Absalom flees Israel for about a couple years. And David wants nothing to do with Absalom. Absalom wants nothing to do with David. Absalom thinks David's going to kill him. And Joab ends up developing a scheme or developing a plan, not in a bad way, but in a good way to reconcile Absalom and to reconcile David. And it ends up happening where Joab is able to get Absalom to face to face with the king. And there's this moment where they love each other and they forgive each other and all is good. Now the Bible talks very interestingly about Absalom. The Bible says that Absalom is like the most good looking GQ model of all of the Old Testament. It says he was handsome 
And he said he had really thick, long hair. The Bible says that his hair would only be cut once a year. And at the end of the year, he would cut it and it would weigh so much. So it was real thick, long hair. And it makes sense because David was also very handsome. That's how the Lord described him in 1 Samuel. So, right, the apple didn't far, fall too far from the tree. I always get mixed up how to say that one, but I think I said it right. He's attractive. He's good looking. Everyone loves him. He's the man. Absalom's a stud, right? And so because of this, and all this built up aggression and anger of being cast away out of Israel, and then David not confronting the thing that his brother did, and so he had to confront it himself. What begins to happen is there's this pride and this arrogance that begins to take place in Absalom. And what began to happen was, is once he came back to Israel, once he came back home, what we find is that he ended up working around the palace. He was he, he was restored to his status. He was now a prince again. So he was the prince of Israel. He was super good looking. He had the hair. He was handsome, right? He had it all. And the Bible says that individuals would come to talk to the king. But instead of talking to the king, Absalom would talk to them first and would begin to help them. And then Absalom began to have this thought in his heart. He said, what if I was king over Israel instead of my father? How much more can I help the nation of Israel since they are coming to me anyway? And so what does Absalom do? Absalom decides to do a coup. Absalom decides to get all the elders of the tribes of Israel together. He goes to Hebron where David was first anointed king, right? He does everything that his father David did. And he tries to reciprocate what his father David did. And he self-anoints himself as king. And because of this, David flees and runs away from the palace. And he leaves. And he is no longer on the throne. Now, Here's the thing that's crazy about this story. David is now running again. Because just in 1 Samuel, we learn that David was first running from his father-in-law. And now he's running from his son. And the Bible says that Absalom is so arrogant that Absalom decides to get an entire army to kill David. And he searches after David. He grabs an army. And not only that, when he gets into the palace... He desecrates David's family. I'm not going to share the details because it's really vivid. You can read it on your own. Um, he desecrates his family. He commits treason and there's no going back for Absalom. Like this dude messed up big time. Like whatever David did, I want to share with you, Absalom did 10 times worse. Because that's what happens when you don't confront the things in your life and you don't allow Jesus to confront the things in your life. Absalom goes to war. Joab meets him, and the Bible says, check it, because there's this crazy sense of humor in some ways in the scripture. It's just kind of wild, because you learn earlier in 2 Samuel about Absalom's long hair. And the reason, and it's kind of random. You're like, why is it talking about homeboy's hair? Like, that's just the most, right? Like, the Bible's so important. Why are you going to talk about some dude's hair, right? We come to find out later, right before this chapter, in chapter 19, that the reason why Absalom ended up dying was because his hair got stuck in a tree in the forest. Wild, huh? The thing that he thought was most prideful was the thing that ended up being his fall. And the Bible says that he was suspended between heaven and earth, meaning that his feet weren't touching the ground and his head was in the middle of a tree. And the Bible says that Joab, the one that restored him back to his father, found out he was suspended, grabbed a spear, and killed Absalom. Because Joab knew that if Absalom did not die, David would not be safe. 
and that David was God's choice for king, not Absalom. Not yet. And we'll never know because of Absalom's decision. Now we get to 2 Samuel chapter 19. Why does all that context matter? Because here's Joab, who has been running with David, who has been helping David, who has been leading David's army, who has served David, who has loved David, who has protected David, who has chosen David above all else to help him, to guide him, to make sure he's doing okay. Joab has had David's back through everything. Joab loves David so much. And here he finds David mourning over Absalom, the guy that's supposed to have killed him. And when it says mourning, I want you to understand this. This wasn't like he was sad, okay? Like what he was doing was he was mourning him as if he was a person of honor, Okay, I want you to understand this, right? There's one thing to go through a tragedy, and I want you to understand this, just as we're even talking about tragedy and crisis and suffering, um, no one wins, right? It's not like there's a good case and bad case. No, no, it's like no one wins. It's just really, really hard. And the things you've been through, I want to acknowledge that right now in the room. That it's been really, really hard what you've went through and the things that you've had to go through. There's no winner. It's just difficult, but by David not honoring the people who have saved his life and his family and restored the crown and just mourning over Absalom because he was stuck, Joab confronts this reality and says, David, you are not doing what you need to be doing right now. You are choosing the wrong process in mourning this thing. And I think that's so important for us to understand because what, here's what I've learned. And I want to walk through a couple of things that I've learned through this story. And I'm going to give it to you that I think would help you, especially if you're in a season where you've been through some things and you're trying to let God begin to heal you of some things you've walked through, some hurt, some tragedy, some things that have happened. Number one is that unhealthy individuals transfer the blame to others. You know why I know this? Because I did this. I am, I am right here. This is me. Yep. That's, that's, I did that. Point number one, that's, that was Pastor Chris for sure. I could not trust another man in my life because of what my father did to me. I cannot trust another woman in my life because of what my mom did to me. And what I would do is I would be so angry and bitter and I would be so upset at something that someone did to me that was like 10% to what other people have done to me and hurt me. Because this is what we do. I told you I was going to get into it a little bit. Sorry. I know you were like expecting a happy Christmas message. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen today. Um, but it's really, really important to walk through this because I believe for some of you in the room, you have been walking year after year with the same hurt and the same offense and the same unforgiveness. Like every Christmas, let's just use Christmas as an example, right? Because the trees are up and it's just a good example, right? Every year you're like December sucks. And the reason being is because of what happened 20, 30 years ago. And I get it. The first year after things go down is hard. Year two, okay, year three... But if you're still holding on to something that happened 20, 30 years ago and you call yourself a disciple, you are not allowing the gospel to free you from the inside out. Family, there is so much more than carrying the pain of your past. And what we do, and here, I'm just trying to help you with identifying, am I really still struggling, is that unhealthy individuals who are stuck in the pain of their loss will blame everyone else except for the person they should blame, which is the person that caused it. So I'm also not saying forget it and let it go. No, acknowledge it. That person hurts you. 
And that's okay to acknowledge it. Your parent lets you down. That spouse that hurt you shouldn't have hurt you. That person that assaulted you or abused you should have never done that. I'm not saying to just let it go, put it on the altar and forget about it till next year. No, no. You got to allow God to deal the deep things of your heart. But what we can't do is then go into every other relationship basically thinking that that's the new relationship has the same parameters of the previous relationship because that new person is just going to hurt me the way that old person did. Family, it's unhealthy. And that's what we do. We do the blame game. I remember, I remember for me, I I just could not, I I could not trust men. I couldn't. I had a father who was in and out of my life. Now, my father was great when he was sober, but when he was not sober, not so much. And he was in and out of my life my whole life. And some of you know my story, some of you don't. Um, If you want to know it, I think it's on YouTube somewhere. You can find it. And and so, so then I get hired here at 20 years old. And Eric Baca, who's the previous lead pastor, who's like a dad to me now, and we love him. He hired this 20-year-old. He's crazy. Why would you ever hire a 20-year-old? But all right, let's do it. So I get hired here as youth pastor. And I remember my first couple years of kind of growing and learning and serving under him and serving his vision and honoring him. I began to learn that God didn't send me to thrive to make thrive better. God sent me to Eric Baca to make me better. But me, I was arrogant and prideful. And anytime he told me something, I was triggered. Why? Because the man in my life who was supposed to be my father gave away his authority for his lack of consistency. And so why would someone else try to take care of me when they're not even really in my life? And so I'm going to treat them like how I treat my father. I'm going to treat Eric Baca like I'm going to treat my biological dad. And it's not Eric Baca's fault. It's my fault because of the pain of my past. Because I didn't want to confront it. I remember one time, check it. I remember one time. I, um, <laughs> um, if you know Eric Baca, Eric Baca has no trouble with confronting you. We call it the Baca way. He learned it from his dad. And I believe in some ways I've learned it too. I, I tell people I'm an honorary Baca when I hang out at the family reunions and stuff. And uh, I remember one time I come into his office. I was so upset because something wasn't going the way I was supposed to. And so I go into his office. His office used to be right here. We tore it down uh, because we needed more space. But he used to be on this side of the building. And I go into his office and I was heated one day. And I, and I went into his office. And you know he's mad when he takes off his glasses. You got to know your people you serve. I'm just saying, you should know what makes me mad. I'm just saying, I knew what made him mad. I knew he was mad. We would take off his glasses. We took off his glasses because this is why I made him take off his glasses. I went to his office and I said, Pastor Eric, I'm, I, he had me do a sound project. I was like 22. I'm, I don't know nothing. Okay, thank God for our production team. I don't know what I'm doing. And so it's not going well. So I'm just mad. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm irritated. And then I start getting in my own head. Like, why would he even allow me to do this? Why would he ask me to do this? Doesn't he know how amazing preacher I am? Doesn't he know how gifted I am? Why would I waste my time on this thing with the sound thing? And people just don't listen. He doesn't know what he has. You know what? I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. So what did I do? I went to go give him a piece of my mind. And I went into his office and I said, you know what, Pastor Eric, I I literally said this word for word. I'm done. You did not hire me to do sound. You hired me to be the youth pastor, to preach to young people and to help you in a city. I'm not doing this. Find another guy. You need to figure it out. Just like that. Guys, I was like 22 guys. And (laughs) oh, dude, I hope he's watching online. 
And he looks at me and he takes off his glasses and he starts rubbing his eyes. That's how you know he's really mad. And he says, first off, I don't work for you. You work for me. Secondly, you don't tell me what to do. And then thirdly, what's going on? And I'll tell you right now, it was, it was so offensive. I, sh- I probably should have got fired. <laughs> like, like, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. I didn't cuss or anything, but I'm just saying. It was pretty bad. And you know what? Instead of just like, hey, he had a bad day. And just let me go on and be like, well, you know what, Chris? Let's talk about it tomorrow. Or, or he could have did something else. He could have just popped off. He could have came back at the same level of energy that I was giving him. Instead, he was gracious and kind, but yet he confronted it. And he was like, we're going to figure this out together. So I closed the door and he's like, what's up? And I just start crying. I'm mad. I'm upset. And what I began to realize in that room, in that moment, is that I was reciprocating my anger against him, not because of my boss was irritating me, but because I looked up to him as a father figure and I treated him. I would have, I would, I, I talked to him how I would have talked to my father who let me down. Family, that's just one example. I have like 50 more of him having to do that stuff with me. And he was so kind and gracious to walk me through. And what I began to realize is I was doing what Job told David. I was loving others who hate me, but yet not, but yet I'm hating others who love me. Now, of course, we're called to love those who hate. Don't get Christianese with me, okay? But what you will do is you will mask your pain with spirituality, not allow God to really confront it. And then the people that God brings into your life to help you get out of that pain, you will victimize yourself and you will blame them. And it was never them. It was that person who hurt you. And you are carrying this pain of this person that hurts you instead of giving it to Jesus, going through the work, allowing God to heal your heart, and then believing that the people that God has brought you are actually trying to help you. Here's a sign of unhealthiness, family, that if everyone in your life has a problem with you, that's not them. It's your problem. But yet there's freedom in Jesus. Because David begins to realize, Joab, you're right. Joab, you're right. Which leads me to my second point, which is Jesus is unafraid of our pain. I want you to know this today before we let you go, that for some of you in the room, you might believe that when you're going through the most painful seasons of your life, that God wants nothing to do with you. But can I tell you, it's the exact opposite. You know why God loves to heal people? Because in the Bible, he's known as the physician and the great healer. That means God's not scared of sick people. God's not scared of individuals who are not doing well. Actually, it's the opposite. God is interested, I would say, just as much as when you're not doing well than when you are doing well, and that God is not scared of the pain of your past. God is not scared of the pain of your situation. God is not scared of the abuse that you went through, but he's willing to get down and dirty with you to begin to walk through the healing process so that way you can no longer be who you used to be. I think in this story, Joab is like the Lord. 
and God will confront you, right? Here's Joab. He just goes into the king's chambers and he's like, I just imagine he just opens the door. He's like, David, what are you doing, bro? Are you really crying over this thing? Like, do you not understand? You know what the Lord needs to do when he confronts your pain? He gives you grace and mercy, but he also gives you perspective and he begins to tell you what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Because here, I want to just bring this up. Tragedy and grief is never an excuse to fall out of love with Jesus and go back into sin. If you can set the parameters now, it will help you when you go through the storm in the future. Don't wait for the storm to set up the conviction. Set the conviction up now so that way the storm comes. I know where I am and I know where God has me. Joab is trying to show David that David, you are mourning the wrong thing. Yes, you can mourn, but you are getting stuck and you do not understand the big picture. And it's a, it's an intense question, but it's a question I believe the Lord would want to ask us today. And I believe if you would ask it wholeheartedly, that God would begin to do something new in your life. Do me a favor, stand to your feet with me. I went a little over. I'm sorry about that, but I think God wanted to interrupt the service and he had some things to say, but I'm going to let you go right now. But I want you to close your eyes and I want you to ask yourself this question. And it's the question that I believe Joe asked, Joab asked David. It's the question that the Lord asked me. And I believe it's the question that the Lord is asking you. Is are you in a place in your life where you are loving others who hate you? Which again, could be noble, could be honorable. But really, you're loving others that hate you because you hate those who love you. Family, you're never going to get better until you confront the problem. Let God confront it with you in your heart. I'm not saying you have to do it on your own. I'm saying stop hiding in it and let God begin to address the deep issues of your heart today. Because it's only then that you'll be able to walk in the calling that God has for you. And that the grief would draw you closer to Jesus and not farther. And so if that's you and you say, you know what, Pastor Chris? There's some people I love that really hurt me and I've just given them uh, unequivocal access to my life and I need to stop. I need to set boundaries, parameters. I need to, I need to confront the pain that they cause me. And then, you know what, Pastor Chris? I have been blaming other people for my problems and I need to stop. I need to stop playing the victim. I need to stop having this victim mentality. I need to stop saying other people are the problem when all actuality, I need to confront the pain of my past and my hurt. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Put your hand on your heart. Awesome. Holy Spirit, I pray for my friends. Do the deep work. Transform us with your gospel and your love. God, teach us to love those who love us, meaning the people you have sent to us to protect us, guide us, speak life into us, and call us higher. Teach us not to hate, but God, to set up boundaries with people who have harmed us and hurt us. God, teach us how to be healthy. Teach us how to choose you. Teach us to confront. Teach us to not delay. Teach us, Holy Spirit, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be wholehearted with you. So I pray for my friends, my brothers, my sisters, and I ask you that you would do this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's just give it up for what God did in the room.
Family, I wanted to do that fast because I believe the work isn't going to be done on a Sunday. It's going to be done when you get home. It's going to be talking to your friend or your spouse. It's going to be allowing you to go to the secret place with God. Wednesday night would be a great example. Get in the prayer room to just talk with Jesus. Walk through some of these things. And let's learn from David's life how to be wholehearted after Jesus. Does that sound good? Hey, one more time. Let's just give it up for what God did in the room. The healings, the miracles, what God's doing in people's hearts. Amen. So good. If you're a first-time visitor, fill out that Connect card. We would love to get you plugged into our church. And then there are still children that need to be adopted for Love Our City. So sign up in the lobby. Go ahead and grab a kid on your way out. Does that sound good? All right. Not a physical kid, okay? There's cards, I promise. Love you all. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week. Once again, thank you so much for joining in and listening to the message brought to our house this past Sunday. We love you, and we pray you have a blessed day and blessed week.